Great chiropractors and physical therapists are under constant pressure of declining insurance reimbursements and long hours. But did you know there's a way to double your profit without working more? By building a gym onto your practice, you can earn more income, stabilize your business, and be a hero to your family, patients, and team. It's a big undertaking with a huge reward. Dr. Josh Satterley has done it, changed his life, and now wants to help you do the same. Welcome to Clinic Gym Radio. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Clinic Gym Radio. I am your host, Dr. Josh Satterley, and I'm lucky enough to be joined by Dr. Charlie Weingroff. Charlie, what's up? How are you? What's up, man? How are you? I'm doing well. Hey, thanks a lot for uh, meeting with me and talking with our, our crew here. So, Charlie, can you give those who, I don't know how they could live a life like this, but they may not know exactly who you are. Can you give them an idea of who you are, what you do? You know, I, I get that a lot on this whole, like, I don't know how they don't know you. There's way more people that never heard of me or, or whatever. I, uh, it's, uh, it's not such a, it's not such a small world, but, uh, I am a, um, I'm a physical therapist, uh, certified athletic trainer for 20 years now. And, um, uh, I'm guessing that if people know me, you know, I, when the internet started to, uh, allow for some springboards for awareness uh, in the early part of this decade. Uh, I had uh, gotten to a point in my career where the skill sets that I have as uh, with my clinical uh, uh, education was also really just being used as a strength and conditioning coach. Uh, I was a strength and conditioning coach in the NBA. Uh, I work with, yeah, I think a lot of people probably know me as working with a lot of uh, very high level professional athletes, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, I think the big thing that maybe we're going to be talking about today is uh, how do we uh, use the, the clinical piece of, of, uh, of being healthcare providers? Uh, how do we use uh, what maybe we can talk about or just some really uh, keen red threads uh, to get to fitness and maybe how that makes sense in a, in a business model? I'd like to think that that might be one of the handful of things. Uh, if that handful is very, very small, you see, not a big hand, uh, <laughs> full of things that uh, I've been uh, fairly successful at. It, not so much, not, not only the business aspect, uh, but, but how do you take a, um, the links of, uh, of fitness and, and healthcare when in fact, I don't really look at them as different. And uh, that's kind of how uh, maybe I became known as far of a tagline in terms of uh, training equals rehab. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people uh, that I know in the clinical world, that was kind of their first introduction to you was your training equals rehab series. But um, your ideas had been around for quite, quite a while there in your own mind, right? Stewing and, and brewing and creating a, 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 would you say, combination of systems that you found success with at yeah. both the professional level and the kind of the street level Long, uh, yeah, definitely long before uh, the DVDs became like something tangible. Uh, it was something, it was things that I was just thinking. And, and if I had to go back to a date, it probably would have been, well, I was always, I could always like lift, like I could always handle weight. I was somewhat of a decent power lifter. But even, even before I got back, even when I was in the NBA the first time, so I would kind of, kind of had a silver spoon in my mouth. I walked out of, uh, PT school in the, uh, in the spring of 99, took my exam and I was in the NBA, uh, in the fall. So <laughs> at that point, yeah, based on how I looked, which, you know, is, uh, very 
Eastern European fire hydrant uh, uh, sized. Uh, there was, I had always been into training, but I was just a, a rank and file physical therapist and athletic trainer, but I would always lift. So the players would always see me lift. Now, uh, at that point, the strength coach for the New, New Jersey Nets was Rich Delatry, and I was kind of like his assistant. I was Ted Ar- Arzonico's assistant. I say kind of like because I was my formal role was intern athletic, assistant athletic trainer uh, for for Ted. And, and then I went when I when uh, when things changed there. I went to now it's called the G League, but it was uh, the very first year, the inaugural year. It was called the D League Development League, and. When you're at that level, not only are you the athletic trainer, it, it didn't matter if I was a physical therapist, but you're the head athletic trainer. You're also the strength and conditioning coach. You're the equipment manager. You're the team mother. You're the travel coordinator, and you're the head coach's assistant. Uh, and maybe I'm forgetting like four other things that were, I had to do. So in that case, you, players work out. This is what I, this is, I would have held that. So now all of a sudden, these are, I have to split my time. Uh, now, luckily, you have maybe 11 to 13 guys, so you don't have to split it up. And you're there 24 hours. This isn't just an eight-hour workday. This is So uh, when you talk about 10,000 hours, you talk about getting exposures. One of the things I talk a lot about uh, now for, for some not as, not as positive reasons, like you can't get good at something if you don't have the exposures to failures. So if you don't have, any, if you don't have exposures, you can't fail as much, et cetera. So I kind of jumped the line again there. But then when I got back to the NBA with the 76ers, they actually didn't have a, a strength coach. And the first year I was assistant athletic trainer for, for Kevin Johnson. And that year, because there was no strength coach, the players thought I was able to handle based on how I looked. I think that was the reason. It's not something that we ever really talk about. But uh, Chuck Wagon, come on here. Give me a workout. And But, but also in the NBA – Rehab is kind of synonymous with what appears to be weight training. And uh, the next year I was promoted to head strength conditioning coach. And I'm going to say that was 2003. That's where I just reinvested my uh, education. And, and that's where I started to create some links. Uh, the first link was um, I, I, was, I was familiar with Yonda, uh, Vladimir Yonda's work. And I don't remember who, but somebody said, you have to go find this Shirley Sarman you know, character, uh, where it's very, very similar. Because this is, at least in my program at that time in my career, that's what the strength and conditioning program was uh, in the NBA. It was about keeping guys put together inaugurally. That was my first year. And, and after that, then I found uh, being exposed to a lot of names that I know we both uh, look up to and subscribe to. They, that finding Mike Boyle and finding Great Cook, I remember there's no way Lee Burton was going to accept my phone call if I wasn't if I didn't say that I was a head strength coach for the Philadelphia 76ers. So now we're in like 04 and 05. And at that point, it really just started to draw lines where it's not different. The techniques are obviously different. We're answering potentially different priorities, but ultimately you're in, you're, you're, you're intervening into the body and you're expecting a response. And now we started to see like, okay, if you sprained your ankle, what do we do? Hopefully it's more than nothing uh, for your upper body and your upper leg. And that became just very easy for me to understand because we're in an environment where the priority is to get back as quickly as possible. Uh, now, sometimes uh, we didn't have much of a culture, so guys didn't care about coming back, et cetera. But that's really where 
I started to, to try to draw these links where uh, one of the terms that I know is often discussed is bridge the gap. I, I just, uh, I think you, for those that do listen to the stuff I do on podcasts or in, on the website, I don't say that. I don't, I don't use that terminology. There's a couple reasons why I don't, um, that we don't need to talk about, but primarily I don't think there's a gap. Like there's no gap between, you know, training and rehab. There's no, because it's one thing. And if you can evaluate the system as completely uh, as possible based on the complexity of the system, uh, use the whole Einstein line to make things as simple as possible, but no simpler, there is no gap. And, and perhaps that's uh, um, something that, that I'm an early adopter of. Yeah, I think uh, that one of the things that the best clinicians in the world are able to do is, I, I say, take one step, just from whatever your hardest, you know, what you think you perceive to be the most difficult rehab exercise, if you think for the patient, can you take one step further towards strength? Just one step, that's it. And in trainers, oftentimes they're, they're the best ones in the world have been able to take one or two steps back towards what looks like rehab. And there's, I would agree with you, there's no gap. There's just, there's a continuum. And so at some point your continuum ends and it, you just spend all your life trying to extend that a little bit. And then the, tra- the best trainers in the world seem to extend that back towards rehab. And somewhere in the middle, you see people doing the same thing, you know, half kneeling. I mean, Mike Boyle's I can't think of a single program I've ever seen him put out that doesn't have a half kneeling exercise. And I can't think of a single rehab protocol that Gray Cook has put out that doesn't include a, you know, half kneeling component. And it's like, well, which one's which? And it, they're the same. Yeah. Well, that's because you have, you're talking about people that uh, uh, don't, don't take a very sensational view where Gray, not as much now, but earlier in his career, he was a trained conditioning coach. Mike Boyle trained as an ATC so there is a healthcare component mm-hmm. uh, and always a strength and conditioning coach. For me, I've probably been more of a strength and conditioning coach than a traditional uh, physical therapist, but that's just my view of it. It doesn't matter. There's no, uh, it doesn't have to be right or wrong because obviously uh, like we're talking about before we go on the air, I, I see people that are in pain and I see them uh, in the context of what they think a physical therapist should deliver. But ultimately that's not the view that I have. It's like, it doesn't matter. Like, yeah, if, if I would say if your healthcare provider uh, can't uh, doesn't doesn't know what to do, if you come in and say you're feeling great, then they're garbage. Like, like they they <laughs> they 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 then why are they there? Yeah, like so. Yeah. Uh, there's an opportunity to capture that because there's probably a perspective that the healthcare <laughs> provider has, but the problem is then it just smells too much like healthcare. It should be training. They, they shouldn't, they're, they're, it doesn't mean you, uh, you're the expert at, at uh, executing that, that piece of the plan. But yeah, if, you, if there's ways to evaluate the system to improve. One of the things that I, I mentioned in, on the first DVD that I, that I really stick with, because there's a lot of stuff. I mean, that stuff was conceptualized way before the DVD was ever made. And even when it was filmed, it, it was conceptualized when VHS was still popular, right? Yeah, I don't know. What's, what's VHS? I don't know. Yeah. But um, the, there's a couple things. You know, it used to be like 85%. Then I would say, okay, maybe 80%. It's probably significantly less than that now because it's 10 years old. Like it's, mm-hmm. it, it, it shouldn't be the same anymore. I think there's still more than enough uh, uh, ideas there, uh, particularly in the concepts, not the application or execution. Yeah. But the the... I said, if you, if you don't call it training, 
and you don't call trainers or coaches and you don't call it rehab. So they're not chiros, they're not therapists, they're not massage therapists, they're not doctors. It just they, those words are all gone. Like just, so what do we do? Like, well, we intervene and we're looking for a response. So we can call those responses qualities. And if the quality is determined to be below industry standard, that means you're restoring the quality. Like you're just trying to get it back to me. So if someone has back pain, that's clearly below industry standard. People aren't supposed to have back pain. So you're going to restore it. But, but if somebody comes in and perhaps that they don't have back pain, uh, but their back doesn't move to the industry standard. It doesn't have 55 degrees of flexion. It doesn't have a uniform spinal curve moving into extension. You have to restore that if that's what you believe. But, but what can we do when it does have normal spinal curves and no pain? Is there a form of evaluation that tells you how you can improve? So now we're talking about strength, power, and endurance. Uh, that would be improving the quality. Restoring qualities usually get reserved for quote-unquote rehab people. Improving the qualities get reserved for uh, training. But there's, it doesn't matter anymore now who you, you know, where you went to school, et cetera, as long as you're intervening uh, on a quality that you both have the legal scope of practice and, uh, and have this, the, the expert skill set. This doesn't happen, obviously. People, you know, I, I, I'm, you know, I'm not the only one responsible, but a lot of people that, that adopt this type of message, it, it's like a... Uh, um, a virtual license to just do whatever the hell you want. And, and uh, you know, because there is, there are dollars in, involved in it and keeping someone's and not working together with other people. That's not, uh, that's not what I was talking about, but if we just break it all back, restore qualities is like rehab, improve qualities is like training. And that's something that I still stick with. And then it doesn't really matter what your degree is, as long as you got the skills to pay the bills. Yeah. Uh, I, I love the fact that you're very principled in your approach. Like you're uh, agnostic in the, in the brand essentially of the correction. You know, a lot of people are, are you a, you know, fill in three letters. Are you a one, two, three provider? Are you an ABC provider X, Y, Z? And it's like, well, I use those skill sets or those techniques, but I plug them into a principled system. If you were to step back for a second, if you, if you went into a, uh, let's say you were keynoting a, a graduation of a, you know, uh, the, the, I don't know, state of Florida, whatever the, the Florida state physical therapy, uh, school of physical therapy, the graduation, what, what would you tell those people to do to improve their professional success? Like what would be your principle that you think most physical therapists are lacking or chiropractors will just say they're synonymous, but, um, lacking at the beginning of their career. And then I want to ask you for the person that's been in practice for 10 years, like what is the principle you think, here's how you get better over the long term, not by taking this brand, of course, but by following this plan. No, I mean, I'd probably try to figure out the best ways to do it in more than just a two second response. But over, over here and here are both uh, legal, ethical, and moral boundaries. Okay. So those are the lines on the floor, right? We can't, we can't step out of bounds. Yeah. yeah. Inside the bounds, we can play as hard as we want. Exactly. And when it doesn't matter what you do, it doesn't matter. You know, they, they, um, uh, in, in a lot of the things that I study in terms of communication, uh, don't be a negotiator. If it's, if it's inside here, uh-huh. then do it. Don't, don't come up with, don't negotiate with yourself as to why you can't do it. Okay. Uh, 
the easy examples. And now this isn't what I would say. I'd be, I'd, I'd think of ways to say this in a motivating way, but um, you know, the like, uh, girl, little, little 13 year old girl comes in with an ankle sprain. First of all, 13 year old girls get better. They don't need rehab. Like they don't, they, 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 they like, this is ridiculous. Um, but if you're going to like, why would you not have them do pull-ups under your watch? Yeah. The, what, well, that's not, that's not fun. This has nothing to do with her, her ankle. Well, really? Well, tell me a little bit about if we can develop um, qualities of the lat, which then extends into the thoracolumbar fascia, crosses typically to the other side, uh, blends into the glute and the IT band, that if, if, it, if it doesn't have the capacity there, perhaps a better hip stability through the lat would allow the ankle to not, uh, maybe the difference between a grade one and a grade uh, two plus uh, ankle sprain. Um, if that person is offended, they don't be offended by that. You just didn't know like, or, or just didn't think of it. So, like, but, but now that's winning. Like that, that's do everything that you can do within here to win. And you don't have to do it some other person's way, including my way. Um, but, but you have to decide like what it, like if there's a, if there's a, if there's a reason uh, to do it, don't think of the other reasons why not. And, and then just charge ahead. Cause we're, we're, we're allowed to make mistakes, but now uh, if we, we can't have this girl jump down off of the pull-up bar and land on her ankle sprain, just help her down. Or you have someone else help her down if it's a guy-girl thing. You, you keep figuring out ways to – because I know that this is something that can be very valuable to, to them. Now, that's a little bit of a sensational example. But when um, – well, uh, it, not as much in uh, in the Cairo world, but and, and just as an aside, I know you have a lot of Cairo's listening. If I happen to say the wrong thing, yeah, the, to me, phys, physiotherapists and Cairo's are the same. Um, the body adapts to different. You know, if somebody champions different techniques, it doesn't matter. They're all they're all the same. Um, if there's something wild, that you know, both sides have people that do things that are that are ridiculous. So so it's it's uh, to me, it's all the same. But uh, in physical therapy, usually a prescription from another physician, you know, sometimes it's even the chiro that gives a prescription. I'm not aware that there's a prescription that's typically involved in, in, a, in a chiro direct access. But again, uh, if, if the primary care provider is going to say something like, well, the doctor doesn't want me working on their neck. Uh, what, what is this? Like, like this is the, this is not okay. Like this is just wrong. If someone's neck moves like that and it hurts over here, but they're there for back pain. If you don't have a model, both socially to how to deal with someone telling you to do basically do something that's wrong uh, or a clinical approach to create a, 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 a systematic approach of treating why this is making your back hurt, then you got to figure that that's what I want you like it that's not sensational like what I just described to you is re- probably a very normal approach I'm guessing a lot of people listening yeah that's that's a normal approach uh, and it happens to be evidence-based you know going back to I think Wayner was the first one to to publish regional interdependence in JOSPT in 2007 uh, that was around the time PTs were having a lot of CPRs. There's a there's a clique of researchers in the Denver area. Blah blah blah. So it's not even like this make believe thing. But you know, I, I get a lot. Well, what do, what do I do if the doctor doesn't want me working on that? I don't know. Like, like get a new doctor. Like why would why do you why do you um, play second to them? Uh, or insurance doesn't let me work on it. Don't take insurance. Like, like 
you know, what it would, actually the legal stance would be you can do whatever you want. You just can't bill for it. You are always allowed to underbill. You obviously can't overbill. So that might sound like a very brazen approach. Be brazen then, you know, be the, be, be the biggest MF and brazen individual there is because the goal is to win. And if, if, if there's a, you know, one time I, I described it as, um, please don't let people leave your ability to help them. Even just tell them, be like, Josh, hey, you know what? Remember that neck thing that we kept? You know, I'm glad your neck, I'm glad your back is feeling better. Uh, we did discuss why you were not comfortable allowing me to, to treat your neck. I, I want you to understand at least that in my opinion, I think this back problem or shoulder problem, something might, might. That's not fear. That's not fear mongering if that's what you believe. And, um, you know, maybe at some point you, they, they can connect. So, so I would uh, ask the but don't just like what you're saying. You're not a so-and-so guy. You're a winning guy. And if the, the goal is to win, define winning. And uh, maybe that's financial. Maybe that's your ego, which is not a, the most terrible thing when funneled into a positive vein. Uh, there's a lot of ways to win, define winning, and then, and then just do what you can do within the boundaries of, of the game. And maybe now game that motivational thing for a bunch of uh, kids. <laughs> yeah. Then they stand up and they, ah, you know, like, Hey, I made the right choice here. I'm glad I got the 150 K in debt. Uh, yeah, that's a, well, that's a true pressure that they feel. If you, so if you, uh, if you win, you won't be in debt that long. There you go. Uh, so, so you're of the W I N method. That's like, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the, the three letter method to choose, huh? So now we fast forward and somebody's 10 years into practice. I'm sure you see this all the time. I see it all the time. Their, their book, their perception is their book of business is full. They have a steady income, a steady patient base, you know, like, uh, but they're very routine. Usually they they fall into the ruts and they're, they're either wanting more because they're sick of seeing the same, what is that called? Learned helplessness. They're not expecting much. The patient doesn't get much. And you know, like they're, they're, they're considering winning like 80%, like that'd be yeah, good yeah. enough, you know, 70 like, uh, Look, I just do what I do. Like, right. Like, I show up. and uh. yeah. So if you wanted to break that person out, Short of, you know, bringing a, a, a sideline cooler of ice water and dumping it on their head and, you know, uh, um, stomping them out. What, what would you say, like, step back for a second and look at this and we can get to winning? Yeah, I would, uh, I would take them very in a conversation. Well, I, that would probably be two different conversations. If that person was a business owner uh, or not, I mean, it's like mm-hmm. yes or no. Like, are they the final decision maker? Let's start with just rank and file. Like, yeah. Well, I would, you know what? I take that back. Let's go business owner because most of the Kairos listening are business owners. Yeah, the, the, it would begin the same, and then the the interventions would be would be a little bit different. Okay. Which the way everything really works, you see, right. uh, uh, top top uh, top tier approach, if you will. So I would uh, I would I like that. We should put that in a book sometime. That top tier. Yeah, who'd have thought? Yeah, <laughs> Where, um, I would uh, I would I would really ask them that uh, what. Let's say they're, they're at work eight hours. If they own the business, it's probably more than eight hours. But let's just say, so because it's easy for math, like what are you doing in the other 16 hours? Let's talk about that. Because it, you're, um, one of the, one, another strategy um, is, is to uh, not, not some, like, it's not cliche, but like don't focus on the negative. So, you know, you, it, there are, you, you use words like rut, they're stuck, you know, they, they're, that's going to be very, very challenging because you're basically telling them that they're doing something wrong. 
And, and uh, I'm also going into the assumption that they're soliciting and welcoming this type of conversation. Leave it alone. Leave it alone. It's, it's not the, because first of all, if they're not asking for it and you're shoving it down their throat, then it's, it's useless. Then uh, it's no shot. Maybe it'd be funny to listen to for others, but it would, uh, it would not be successful. But I would ask them, I said, like, what can my, if you, if you wouldn't try that in your marriage, don't try it in the clinic. There's some, somebody said that. Uh, you're not, you're not going to fall me. I'm not falling into that trap. <laughs> The, uh, I would really ask them to consider in the other 16 hours of their life, what are they doing? Wait, what are they, how are they enjoying their life? You know, do their kids, do they get to go watch their kids' games? You know, all of these types of things. And, and I have um, um, an adaptation of something that Greg Rose told me a long, long time ago. It's the, the, the 151 one rule. And I actually have it on an Excel and I give it to people sometimes. So in order to look at those 16 hours, I want you to write down everything that, that you do that's in your life. That means you have possession of it. In the first column, it's, it's stuff that you need. In the second column, it's stuff that you want. And in the last column, it's stuff that's nice to have. Now, those are just words. They actually all kind of mean the same thing. If you need something, then uh, you, you, your life is over in 7, 14, 21, or 30 days. Meaning if you don't have that, bills aren't going to get paid. That's just, so you might put things in the need column. In the want column, it's something that you enjoy and it cannot be replaced with anything else. Then uh, you know, maybe for me is like Disney. Like you can't go, you can't, you can't experience what Disney has unless it's at Disney. In the last column, it's nice to have. That's something that, that, that you, you want in your possession, uh, but, but it can be replaced. It can, it can be replaced with other things. So uh, I can't afford to go to a movie, but I can, you know, watch a movie on TV. So it's, it's uh, on cable that I'm already paying for. So uh, the goal is to look at that and stare at it. And if you don't have 100% of what you need, we have to make a change. Uh, if you don't have 51%, which is a make-believe number, but you have to yeah, have it, uh, uh, then you've got to make a change. If you don't at least have 1%, like give a dog a bone, you, know, you have to enjoy something. Uh, 1%, that's all I'm asking for, 1% in your nice to have, you got to make a change. Then the second thing that you do is shift as much to the right over time. It doesn't, it doesn't mean, sometimes you might be able to do it right away. Sometimes, hey, do I really need this? Like, do I really need um, to pay $10 a month for Netflix or something? Well, I, I want it. Well, can it be replaced with anything else? Dude, I have to watch Jessica Jones. Okay, you got no choice. Everything you need, yeah, your life will continue if you don't watch Jessica Jones, but clearly that would be a want. Uh, then, it, So the, it's a very zen kind of approach, like where you want, that, you want nothing, need nothing. That's where I kind of got, got the adaptation from. Greg was talking about scheduling things on a yearly basis. If you can shift as much to the right, because if you don't have 100% of what you need, you're, you're not going to you're not going to be able to crack. You're not going to feel the motivation to crack what we're really talking about, which is get out of that clinical piece. So now I'm talking about things that people are probably a lot more comfortable talking about. And now as, as a, um, uh, a, a brother in arms, so like, yeah, I'm a therapist, like I'm a business person, like, the, and, and all the time, like, you know, people are going to think they're equal. Like, who the hell are you to be telling me about this? Let's get away from it. Like, that's a, that's not an easy victory that that's, yeah, so let's talk about this other stuff where now it appears far more altruistic. Mm -hmm. It's more, you know, uh, um, therapeutic. And you got to look at that. And then when you see, wow, like, I, I really, 
I, I, I only have 20% of what I want. Mm-hmm. Okay, you know what? That's the difference of how you need to get out of that nonsense of what you're doing in the clinic and, and I can help you then. Uh, or maybe somebody else can help you deliver a different business model to fill in those gaps. Because I think a lot of people, um, they might have what they need. Uh, they, the, the wants and nice-to-haves are skewed. They, they have, they, they, we, we were in, our, in our possession are far more nicest to have than, than wants. And then sometimes needs, like, you know, you, like you, you might not think you need it because it's not a tangible thing. But, you know, if you took a want and put it into the need, such as uh, spending time with family or t- spending time to train or spending or crushing to- student debt early, like whatever. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. And this is where sometimes it's really helpful to have someone else look at this for you uh, with you. And uh, when it's at this level of altruism, I'm not even talking about paying as a consultant. I mean, this is something, you know, that any kind of mentor can, can help with. And then you go back and then you can crack that 10 year nonsense of, of working in a mill uh, and doing foolish therapy and, and constantly negotiating why you can't do the SFMA and why you can't have little girls do pull-ups and, and all this type of sensational things. But there's a reason that, that someone else would um, cast aspersions, hopefully per, uh, received in a very, very positive way. Because if you can't take it, then it's not going to happen. Like if you can't, like no one gets better without being told they're wrong. Uh, now it must be done in a respectful way but that's still just a flip of a coin. Like you might hit a, you might use the wrong word with someone new and that uh, turns into a shit show. Well, I love it. There's a great line. All, all progress starts with truth. <laughs> like, oh, people hate the truth. They hate the truth. <laughs> they hate the truth. They hate the truth. People, and you know what? It goes back to people don't want to win. They just want to do what they want to do. Are you a chiropractor or physical therapist working long hours, worrying about lower repayments and missing out on quality time with your family? You can double your income without working more hours by adding a gym to your practice. Clinic Gym Hybrid Solutions has a step-by-step guide that dramatically simplifies and speeds up the addition of a fitness center and its monthly recurring revenue. In just six months, you can be on your way to freedom. Visit clinicgymhybrid.com today for a free downloadable PDF and complimentary consultation to get you started. That's clinicgymhybrid.com. Right now, I'm thinking the big, the number one problem in most treatment scenarios is that nobody clearly identifies the goals from the start. Like when you have somebody come in with a sprained ankle that, and they're saying, hey, it hurts, a lot of clinicians go, oh, we need to get rid of pain. No, yeah, like, exactly. exactly. Like yeah. that's, that's one piece of this. Yes. But the yeah. goal is I want to get back to playing lacrosse aggressively on a field in, in my high school, you know, like when that, uh, when that 10 year clinician or really anybody is now open source enough, did you have to go through the, the psychological hijinks and mentoring or they, they're like, they're, or they just graduate. They've been listening to your podcast forever and they, they're, they're ready. Like they're more open source. When someone comes to see you, what are the terminal activities to be healthy? So if, if, you're, if you're primarily intervening in a musculoskeletal world, that's okay. There's a lot more than musculoskeletal uh, qualities. So we have to evaluate for those two and be able to push them into other uh, professionals' hands. But so now if someone, like, why do, why do I need one leg? Why well, I can't stand on my leg? It's not pain. It's just that I can't do it. Like, I don't do it well. Mm-hmm. Now, your primary intervention might be to change pain because that's the first thing. 
But where am I going? Like, so when I see someone with, uh, you know, that just had a, a, a lumbar fusion, like I don't think of changing their back pain. I think of what do I need to do to get them I'm not going to say what exercises, but what are what what are what are the, the what are the opportunities to create maximum resiliency that they didn't have in the first place? Meaning, their back hurt, you know, got into that situation because their body had, was not introduced to the proper uh, uh, stressors to adapt, so that when they bent over, their back didn't break. Maybe that's deadlift. Maybe that's something. I don't know what it is, but that's what I'm thinking. So now to get to deadlift, my, now we do some skin rolling or whatever might be appropriate at that time in the surgical procedure. So for the ankle sprain, you got to think of like, you know, doing five hops, you know, over, you know, 18 inch hurdles. You know, like if, if, if that's so far from your thought process, that's the clinical mentorship of the needs, wants, and nice to have. You need to do that because if that person can jump, uh, can hop over 18-inch hurdles five times in a row with brilliant-looking mechanics, at least to the naked eye, they never would have sprained their ankle in the first place. And, of course, there's more than just hopping over hurdles to get to that specific solution. So now, if, you, if you're not already thinking that, then that's where you have to – maybe change uh, if, if this is interesting to you. It's funny. As you talk about this, I'm thinking you worked with some professional athletes where the, if we put them on needs, wants, and nice to haves, pain relief is a nice to have. It may be a want, but most of the professional athletes I, I've seen have not, would not have that under a need column, but they're, they're fine to play with pain if that, but they need to perform. When, um, when, when, so, so today is uh, July 22nd. When do you think this is going to go live? Probably two weeks from today. Okay. So at that point, uh, you, you would have seen a, a main event uh, in, uh, <laughs> in a particular sport. And um, this is a perfect example where um, not the toughest dudes on earth. Uh, the toughest dudes on earth are at Camp Lejeune and Camp Pendleton. Uh, but nonetheless, this individual was preparing uh, for his activity in, in a level of pain uh, that, and I'm not even going to say dysfunction because that's a stupid word, um, a level of pain, but he kept preparing. And he finally came to, to get another level of intervention, not because I'm the best in the world, whatever. The fact is it wasn't dysfunction because he was 100% within a very short period of time. We just found the right, we just found the right keyhole. And in his case, he was still performing at main event training level, but had pain that I was like, oh my God, like how, how can, like, like if I, if I decided to screw him and call the, the opponent, like I could have made a lot of money. Uh, that's how, that's how effective like certain approaches would be when you know your opponent has this kind of problem. So uh, that's, um, and I would not be telling you about this if you're, uh, so now you have to go live in a couple of weeks, but uh, no, it's, it's uh, you're absolutely right. Where uh, the prioritization should be from, can I do what I want to do? And now if you don't even know what the other person wants to do, or your value system is not the same as the other person's value system it's going to be very, very difficult to get to these points. Um, and, it, and if your value system is so different, that's part of the right left barriers there were times earlier in my career where I refused to treat people that were in the New York marathon, you know, training because we were, we were going to help them. And then they would just go back and keep running. 
I would do that now because it's just the right thing to do. I don't think I was making the correct, well, I did it correct back then. I'm a different person. So, but, uh, or, or certain types of training, like if they're always hurt from their training, why the fuck am I going to help them so they can go back and hurt themselves again? You know, uh, it's okay to abstain from something that doesn't meet your value system. So it's, uh, you know, the ankle sprain is to be able to, no, it's not to do five hops over 18 inch hurdles. It's to do five hops over 18 inch hurdles with your foot in inversion. <laughs> then you will never ever sprain your ankle. What do I need to do? What do I know from neurology and physiology to get me to that point? And you might not even be the guy. There might be three people, four people along the line, but that person will never sprain their ankle had they been able to do something like that. So it's simple. That's what you're saying. <laughs> to me, it's simple. Yeah. No, it actually is. Simple isn't always easy. No, it's not. It, it is simple, but uh, there is a, uh, typically when you're trained on one side of this uh, spectrum, you're not exposed to these other things. But the link is specific adaptations to impose demands and Cellier's model of adaptation. Like it, it, that works for everything. It, I think... Uh, one of the, the most confusing things to learn, the confu most confusing ways to learn anything is to learn the tactics long before you learn the principles or strategy as to why you use that. However, when you're learning strategy without tactics, you think I, I can't ever do this. But, you know, if you want to take up golf and I start by showing you lag putts, uh, flop shots and difficult wedge plays, like you're like, this is, I don't understand when, when do I use these? And then if we step back and we zoom out and we say, okay, for this little piece of a golf course, you're going to use those a lot. But, you know, from the tee box, you don't use these ever almost, you know, and like it's confusing if you're down deep in there. And a lot of people that I have seen, and I don't want to uh, say everybody's in the same, same box. I'm not saying that, but a, a lot of people, sometimes we load ourselves up with tactics. I took this course and this course and this course, but we don't have a, a place to plug those in and therefore they're overwhelming and if you can step back and say, here's where everything plugs in, it yeah. becomes much easier to deal with that overwhelm. I 100% agree. People would prefer to uh, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. When in fact, the complexities, the nonlinear nature, the multivariance of, of the human system is not, is not possible. But unfortunately, a lot of models for really, really good techniques and really good methods uh, they, they have high value, but they're positioned in such a way that you don't need to think multivariant. You don't need to think uh, nonlinear. And, and that's, uh, I think, the, and then when you continue to grow, because you heard that was a really good course, they conflict because we don't have this uh, closet organizer uh, in which to put all of these things. And then the closet organizer is like the... Um, it's like the stairs in uh, Hogwarts. Like they're always moving and they're, <laughs> they're, they're never, they're never in the same place twice. Right. So now if the, your closet organizer is always moving based on keen levels of evaluation, I do think we, I think, I think from a certain level, uh, especially when they're not a real athlete, meaning they have to show up on a certain day uh, to do something, we can evaluate everyone the same way. And every technique provided that we have an honest um, understanding of the techniques, neurology and physiology, that's, that's, that's easier said than done. I don't think all of our continued education models give us an honest uh, uh, agnostic 
scientific merit. We know they work, okay? So it's not like so-and-so is, oh, there certainly are charlatans out there that do absolutely, their, their methods and techniques do absolutely nothing. But, but now they will all fit if we could evaluate in a, in a systematic uh, approach, I think. And that would be going back to that 10-year business person. Evaluate everyone like this and everything will be fine. And uh, if they were a business owner, now you have uh, rule number two of, of, of business. You got to do something that separates you from, from other people. So if you're the early adopter to this methodology, uh, which, which uh, can't, it doesn't have to end with you individually in this training approach, uh, but your thinking is going to the training approach. And you never have to step outside of your wheelhouse of, of what appear to be healthcare techniques. But once you get that person good as new, no, you don't want to be good as new because new is what got them there. Their body was not resilient enough. Their body broke. Yeah, so you have to put them into situations that further exceed their new so that they can build up this armor um, in a number of different ways. I love, I love uh, sitting down for a conversation with you, Charlie, because I, I think I asked about three questions and then I just shut my mouth and I got about 86 minutes worth of interviews. So this uh, is, no. I'm good. It's, it's, uh, you had to wake up early. I wake up yeah. early too. It's not often that chance to sleep in. So we yeah. got time as you need. We're good. Yeah. Well, I do appreciate you being with us. Um, any, uh, I know you're a voracious reader. Uh, any great books you've read recently that you think might prepare people for this idea of change? Maybe they're to have nothing to do clinically, but just yeah. a, a great, go ahead. Um, the, the one that I'm reading now is, is one that I think a lot of people are familiar with, but it's kind of like a side shoot. Uh-huh. It, it's how to win friends and influence people in the digital age. So it has a little different spin for uh, 2018. And uh, the concepts, just like we keep talking about, the concepts of the Dale Carnegie uh, model is not different, but, but, the, but the execution is different because, you know, you might, like, how do you smile, you know, when you're not smiling on the, you know, when you're not seeing the person or how to, uh, how to, so I think that is, uh, um, you know, something that may be very, very useful for, for change. Um, I, I wonder sometimes if, if change, uh, is, is as nearly as required as we might think, uh-huh. but rather if, if, if the person demanding, and that's okay to use that word, demanding the change uh, is, is framing it in, in uh, what, and, it, and it's, it's humanly impossible to do that for any one person to. This is, uh, this is my argument. I always say like uh, physical therapists and chiros, like physical therapists, you know, like if we have this thing we call the manipulation, like, if you go down to the South and you order grits, it's like ground up corn mixed with broth and they serve it at like 50 for 50 cents on the side. If you come to my town in Vegas and you get this, you go to a flashy casino and a huge plate comes and this guy's serving you with a black tie on and stuff. And he goes, Oh, sir, your, your polenta, that'll be $45. It's like, what was it? It was ground up corn mixed with broth, but I did this other crap around it. And now it's worth $45 instead of 50 cents. Well, number one, let's all agree to call it freaking polenta if we get paid for it. But secondly, like if it's the same, like I think phrasing like grits just doesn't sound appetizing. Whereas this polenta thing at least sounds Italian for God's sakes. And you know, has to be worth more if it's from a foreign country, but it's, it's, it's that phrasing. Maybe you're right. Maybe it's not an issue or maybe it's the opportunity to change is consent. 
consent makes everything different, right? If and, and, and that's interesting. Uh, I don't remember consent being a part of the book called Say Anything, but, but it was, and again, from a little bit of my personal interest in choosing a book, you know, these are all West Point guys, so wasn't uh, involved with the Army, but uh, for me, but to, you know, where if I'm going to help you change, uh, there's, there's a couple requirements. And one of it is that you should be able to say whatever you want back to me. It has to be in a respectful fashion. I have to be able to say whatever I want to you to empower you to continue to always want to say something back to me. Now, that doesn't mean you win. It doesn't mean you get what you want. But, but it's, it's this constant circular form of, of communication that you know, the stakeholders and the leaders still have the final say. But obviously, just looking at somebody in the eye and pointing at them and saying that, oh, I'm in F in charge here. It's going to be done my way. Thank you for your opinion. Is probably not going to empower that person to, to, to say something the next time when, in fact, his idea might be better than someone else's. So um, my gimmick, uh, you know, to use a professional wrestling term, it may not get to everybody. When I say, um, okay, if they do that, they're garbage. That actually works for a lot of people because I'm probably saying something in such a way that, that other people just wish that they could say, I'm, the, I'm CM Punk, I'm the voice of the voiceless. But for someone else, I just insulted them to a very, very great degree. Now, I might suggest that, okay, when that happens, okay, uh, ow, ow, like, ah, uh, you got bee stung, okay? You go away and start to take hip pause. Um, I, love, I love listening to, and now he's coach of Arizona State football, Herm Edwards. And I love, just love listening to him talk, you know, for me. That, that works for me. And... And he has this thing that don't hit sand, don't hit sand. He's talking to a lot of you know, young athletes about you know, messing around on Twitter, basically. But it really extends to other things. Where if you get bee stung and I say that you're garbage and you're an idiot and how stupid are you to be doing what you're doing? Am I doing this to hurt you? Yeah, and if you really believe that I am, the next question is what do I have to gain? You think I'm really worried about as a stranger. I need to make myself feel better about me by making you feel bad. I don't even know you. Hit, don't hit send. The beast thing will go away. And then the next question you ask is like, am I trying to hurt you or am I trying to help? And then if it truly is say anything, that person will be like, hey, Charlie, hey, you know what? I get it. You're, you're trying to get everybody riled up. It doesn't really work for me, but I'd like to understand a little bit more of why you think this, this approach that I'm using um, where I'm just trying to help people. I'm like, Josh, you're out. Now the voice changes. The, you know, because that's my, that's, that's, that's because no, no one person is this is the best messenger for, for everybody, but nonetheless, it, it strips back and it'll always wind up being the same. So it's, it's when you hear something that, again, going back to the books that I'm reading um, um, that have nothing to do with clinical, but how do you affect change is, you know, I'm, I'm okay with not getting everybody. But but because I look, I've been in positions where I have been the stakeholder in terms of a middle management position and uh, a leadership team of, of, of Gandhi, Jesus and Mother Teresa wouldn't have been able to lead these these slime balls. Uh, not people have to want to be led. They have to want to be mentored. And, and you can't make someone uh, that. But but ultimately, if if you can um, uh, uh, prove to them that you really are trying to help them without saying, dude, I just want to help you. You're just pushing that away. And I, and I feel very comfortable in saying this because these are my own mistakes. 
Yes. Uh, Yelling calm down at somebody rarely results in them calming down. Oh, of course. <laughs> but, but, but you'll talk to them, you know, and, and use other strategies, which now I think most people would say, oh, my God, like, how did you pull that off? How do you, how do you communicate to people? And that's both at a clinical and a non-clinical way. It's because I sucked at it for so long. And I had a lot of opportunities to be in very, very high pressurized environment as a 22-year-old. So I had more opportunities to fail. And that book, Say Anything, uh, is, is this creation of circular um, you know, safety, uh, consent, the word that you used, uh, where I can say whatever I want to you, you can say whatever I want to me, and it's just a bee sting. And then, you know, for the purposes of communicating my thoughts, the whole piece of don't hit send from Herm Edwards, which is not a, um, not a book, but I'm sure if you just uh, Google Herm Edwards, don't hit send, yeah, now, if you're not into a very, um, uh, are we going to say Southern Baptist voice uh, in terms of, you know, like, and that doesn't have a positive mental connection to you, don't hit send. You know, <laughs> watch it. You may not, it may not connect with you. And that's where I think uh, a change, it can never be one way. Uh, end result is going to look the same for a lot of people, but how it, how it becomes affected is uh, this, this very amorphous, very amoeba-like uh, circle that uh, that creates safety and consent. Awesome. I think that's uh, enough to get everybody out there started on the path that they want to get on, whether that's change under their own terms or if they're riding off into the sunset and happy with what they're on, there you go. Like if, if that's the goal, yeah. Yeah, that, that's the other thing too, is that ultimately the best way for that message to come across is that if someone doesn't care, like like, hey, that's cool. You want to do it? Like, thank, thank you for listening. You know, it doesn't matter to me because uh, when it does matter, the emotion is different. You know, that's, uh, that's very different. Yeah. All right. Well, Charlie, I appreciate you spending the time with us this morning. And I hope this was, uh, I hope everybody listening lets this play through and then just hits repeat because I think there are so many nuggets within here that can change their life clinically, uh, change their life fitness wise and, and change their life for the better when, you know, I'm just going back thinking about when you really look at what, what do you need? What do you want? What's nice to have? Uh, I think that perspective can change everything that you do in life. So on behalf of my listeners, Charlie, thank you very much. Uh, can you throw out some, some ways people can get a hold of you or see the stuff that you do or get a hold of your DVDs, whatever you think yeah, web, best for them? Uh, website is, uh, is charlieweingroff.com. And we can probably find a lot of stuff through there. There's some other things on um, on Target Publishing. And I think for the rest of the summer, if anybody's listening up in Toronto or wants to take a trip to uh, Toronto is really nice, uh, August 11th and 12th. And then I'll be at Perform Better in Long Beach uh, in, um, uh, I think, the weekend after. Yeah, the weekend August after. 16th, 17th, 18th, yeah. something like that. Yeah. yeah, but, you know, I have a lot of articles and video. Like, lately, it's been more video articles just based on what makes sense uh, for me to be able to accomplish and what people are, can consume. And uh, all that stuff is at charlieweingroff.com and Wagon 75 on Twitter. And, yeah, just little, little bits. Instead of writing the articles, I just do the, the main topic on Twitter because life is a different thing than it was several years ago. That's right. Long-form blogs have given way. So, yeah. all right. Well, I appreciate your time this morning. And uh, for those listeners, on behalf of uh, Charlie Weingroff, this is Dr. Josh Satterley saying, go out there, maximize your license, and live the life you dream of. Thanks a lot, Charlie. All right, man. 
Thanks for listening to Clinic Gym Radio. If you're ready to double your profit without working longer hours, please visit clinicgymhybrid.com and find out how easy it is to get started on your path to freedom. That's clinicgymhybrid.com.